Welcome to Dialogue Minnesota, conversations about the issues that matter to you. I'm your host, Jim Dubois. As we approach the latter stages of our careers and start thinking about retirement, some of us are deciding that we're not ready for a life of leisure. There's a growing trend of older workers seeking a new career pathway that may lead them away from what they've done for decades. A University of Minnesota sociology professor calls this encore adulthood. This week, part one of our look at the U of M's Advanced Careers Initiative, or UMAC. Our conversation took place at the UMAC office on the university's Minneapolis campus. Phyllis Moen is the founding director of the University of Minnesota Advanced Careers Initiative. She is also director of the Life Course Center, a McKnight presidential chair, and professor of sociology. Professor Moen, welcome to Dialogue Minnesota. Thank you. And Kate Schaefers is Executive Director of the University of Minnesota Advanced Careers Initiative. Dr. Schaefers, welcome to Dialogue Minnesota. Thanks, Jim. Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, the book you wrote a few years ago, Professor Moen. It was all about something called Encore Adulthood, Boomers on the Edge of Risk, Renewal, and Purpose. What exactly is Encore Adulthood? It's a new life stage, one which I find very interesting. You know, in the Middle Ages, we didn't really have childhood as a separate life stage. That occurred as we developed public schooling, and as we developed high school, we had this life stage called adolescence. So life stages are not fixed, but change all the time. Right now, a lot of scholars are talking about emerging adulthood, which is in the 20s to 30, where young people are not children or adolescents, but neither are they full-fledged adults in terms of owning a house, having often a good career job. This is a time of exploration. My point is that we have a second life stage coming around the 50s, 60s, and 70s, where people are beyond the career and family building years, but not yet to the frailties we associate with old age. This is a historic change, this space that's opening up between prime adulthood, or what was called prime adulthood, and old age impairments. And this is the bonus years of the new longevity. Dr. Schaefers, how did you become interested in this particular area? Well, I met Phyllis several years ago. We were both on the board of an organization called SHIFT, which it's a community-based organization that helps people at midlife figure out what they want to do next and make those kinds of transitions. And we both connected about this idea that as we look at people in this life stage, they're looking for purpose, they're looking for meaning, they're looking for ways to use their skills for the greater good. And as Phyllis was looking at developing a program along this, I was 100% on board. I was so excited that she was going to make this a reality because I think we need these pathways. And the fact is, there are no blueprints for this new stage of life. People have a lot of energy. Many have education, talent, skills, experience. They want to give back to their communities, but how do they do it? There are no pathways. There, We think of... Uh, people who are retiring as moving out of the mainstream of society. We need to find ways to bring them back into the mainstream of society, and that's what our program is about. 
And I also think, too, that culturally we tend to think of retirement as a one-time thing. And so people are either working or they're retired. And the way that people are experiencing this today is very different from that. So we have people who retire from one job and look at another job, or people who take a time out from work and come back into the workplace, whether it's because they're ready to leave that job or maybe they needed to leave that job for things like caregiving. And so there's more fluidity when we look at the way that people are navigating these things, and we know that people are looking for things in this career in Encore Adulthood that may look different from their career jobs. Well, tell us how the Advanced Careers Initiative came into being. It started when I was on the board of Encore.org. This was a number of years ago, around the turn of this last century, and was in transition myself, moving from one university to another and wanted to start this program. And it seemed like a public university like the University of Minnesota was the right place. It took a while, but the idea was something of a gap year for grown-ups, a way of having people come back to campus to decide what they want to do next with their lives. And this could be the next 10, 20, 30 years of active engagement that we can now experience uh, in later adulthood. Can I just also add, so Phyllis Truda Course was ahead of her time because this idea was so innovative at the turn of that century that it was hard to get some momentum with it. And I think the time is right now, and we are still ahead of the curve on this. We are the first public university to attempt to do something like this. But that, I, that vision that Phyllis had really has, she's got a long history with that vision. Well, tell us about the first class of fellows. Uh, who were they? How did you recruit them? And uh, overall, how did the program go in its uh, nascent stages? We had a pilot year, 2017-18, and this year is our inaugural group, 2018-19. So we have in all the experience of 26 people who have gone through our program, and it has been a delight. What we found is a real variety of the kinds of people who are interested in this, but they become a learning community, a community of trust, and they become lifelong friends, which was something that really surprised us. And so we got some support from the provost who thought this was a great idea to try this. And we really constructed it out of whole cloth. There exist programs like this in private universities like Stanford and Harvard and Notre Dame, but this is, as Kate said, the first public university, and we're trying to democratize the program so we don't want to have the high costs those other places have. So we made this up literally as we went along. And our first pilot group helped us co-create. So they were pivotal in helping us look at what they needed. And so we we had a lot of good ideas because we looked at what Harvard and Stanford were doing. And we also blended some of the applied pieces that we had learned about from Encore.org and some of their fellowship programs. So what we did is we pulled together some structure, but our first group of 10 helped us co-create. And what were some of the things you discovered with that first group? Were there things that you learned that surprised you about the direction the program might take, about the needs of the fellows and how the fellows interacted with 
the uh, the students? Yeah, well, this was a real surprise. Is the importance of that intergenerational piece? We knew that the fellows would love being involved with undergrads, but what we didn't realize was that the undergrads appreciated it as well. In fact, many of those have created long-lasting bonds that continued well after the classes, because it was a co-mentoring situation that uh, the fellows could help these undergrads with things like resumes, with coaching as to how to present yourself when you're looking for a job, and with just talking about life and sharing about life. In my class on the future of work and life in the 21st century, students ask the fellows, what was it like for you to put your life together, to have a career and a family, and how did you do it? And the Fellows were very thoughtful, saying maybe I wouldn't do it that same way again. And it just became a, a, a real special moment where they learn and value the experiences of one another. Is there a typical profile for a fellow? Their experiences and backgrounds vary, and we think that's one of the strengths of our initiative, is that we bring people from different disciplines and different areas where they have contributed to come together, and they're all learners. And so they're all coming together to form that learning community. And we certainly have a group of our fellows who are coming back wanting to make a career change. And they're at a point in their careers where they're ready to transition out of whatever work they're doing and maybe have some more flexibility in their lives so that they can take a little bit more of a risk to try something that is more aligned with how they want to live their life at this point, as well as the kind of work and the kind of contribution they want to have. So some of our fellows are looking at launching a whole nother career. So a you know eight to 10 year career. And so they're coming to us with wanting to get different experience, to use a career language, rebrand themselves in a different way. Others of our fellows have stepped out of the workplace and now they're trying to figure out what is next for them. And they're looking for meaningful um, volunteer roles that they're looking at skill-based volunteering and connecting more with their communities. And I think too, some of our fellows are really looking for deepening their community connections. So we can accommodate a range of that. Some of our fellows are still working. Some of them have stepped out of the workplace. And I think our structure is flexible enough to accommodate different priorities. And there are different ages. We've had people from age 50 to 72, and it works. They're all, as I said, searching in this stage of life for their encores. We found a big focus, as I say in my book, about renewal. The people are concerned and want to think about who they are and what is their identity for this next stage. When we think about retirement, unlike other transitions like the transition to parenthood, getting married, retirement is a transition from, not to. And what UMAC, our fellowship program, is trying to do is make it a transition to this next stage in your life, looking forward, not back, as to who I used to be, but who am I now? We're talking with Phyllis Moen, the founding director of the University of Minnesota's Advanced Careers Initiative, or UMAC. She's also the director of the U's Life Course Center. She's a McKnight Presidential Chair and Professor of Sociology. We're also chatting with Kate Schaefers, the executive director of UMAC. Is there a particular profile for the undergraduate students who are involved? Yeah, our fellows have been in grand challenge classes, which are by definition interdisciplinary. So we have 
undergrads from all across the campus in every field. And it's just been really exciting to have both the mix of the fellows from diverse backgrounds and the undergrads, traditional undergrads from diverse backgrounds, come together and seek a common language and a common knowledge. And we do know that for higher ed, it's so important that we don't look at issues from just one lens. And we find that by bringing together undergraduate students across different disciplines, as well as fellows that have interests, as well as work experience across different fields, that we have some really rich conversations. What are the Grand Challenge classes? This is an initiative at the University of Minnesota that I find quite exciting. It's an interdisciplinary effort at addressing major problems facing our state, our nation, and the world for which we need to seek solutions. And it's really terrific to see undergrads and our fellows working together to devise new ways of living and working, new policies for the next 20, 30, 40 years. So they can be focused on, as my course was, on the future of work. Other classes are on things like the environment, human development, poverty, um, global health, feeding the world sustainably. I mean, they're not little projects. (laughs) These are big projects, but rather than focusing narrowly on a discipline that you learn all there is to know about sociology, you're using all that insight that you get from disciplines to really address real-world issues. And they're all co-taught, so you have faculty across disciplines. And the other aspect is there's an applied piece. So it's also teaching undergraduate students how to think critically about how could you address these kinds of issues. So the students come up with a project, they're a group project, and they come up with an idea that could address that issue in some way. And they do a presentation to the community. They have a community workshop. And so they have to hone some of their skills in doing that. And some of their ideas are amazing and they have legs. They're actually able to take that idea and go on in another class and maybe actually turn it into a new social enterprise or um, take it to an organization that's doing work in that area. So these students are amazingly creative and you bring them together across disciplines. And it's, it's just a wonderful process for those students to learn in a new way, in a way that our world needs. What our fellows said about the undergraduate students that if it's these kind of people that are going to shape the world, I'm comfortable with that. I'm confident that we're in good hands. Professor Moen, getting back to your book for a moment, when you decided to write the book, did you have any preconceived ideas as to how your research might pan out or was this kind of a new experiential um, area for you? No, I had been studying retirement and late life careers, as well as uh, family arrangements in later adulthood for a long time. What I really saw for the first time was the idea that this was a new life stage. But let me tell you how much everything has changed. For instance, this is the first time in history where large numbers of women, especially married women, have jobs they're retiring from. So in the past, 
women often had part-time work or had worked only for a little while. And so they would leave the labor force but not formally retire. And they would often leave the labor force when their husbands did. So this is a new world. In the past, many people had public and private pensions that they could uh, count on a secure retirement, and that has disappeared. We have the large baby boom cohort, the oldest number of people in this age group ever historically, and they are healthier, more educated, and more experienced than ever in history. So we have this talent pool that we're not using. These things came together in my mind, and the reason that I'm going to write the book is all this is true, all this possibility is out there, but we have no way of using it. We're just encouraging people to go play golf five, six, seven days a week. And I know that there are people in your audience that want to play golf five, six, seven days a week, but most want to do something else. And it's that group that we were looking at and I was writing about. And Phyllis is obviously an academic with wonderful credentials around that, but this book is very readable. And so not only is it informed by the research out there, so there's definitely that foundation, but it's also full of stories and it helps frame it in a way that I think all of us can read and understand and gain insights from. What I see and talk about is to really change the world the way we need to for this aging society, we need to change our language. So we really need to think not of old people or seniors or senior citizens, but new ways of thinking about older adults. And one way is to think of this as an encore. How do you go about recruiting the fellows? Well, we've been very fortunate to have some media exposure with what we've done. So we had an article in the Star Tribune. We've had one in the Pioneer Press. We've also had a couple of pieces in Forbes. And so we've gotten some visibility. And I know that many of our fellows saw the article, in particular the Pioneer Press or the Star Tribune, and their interest was piqued by that. So they followed up with it. We are also just spreading the word through word of mouth. And we're still so early with this. And so for us, us, it's going to be important to get in front of the right groups of people to help individuals see how this could fit as they're looking at what's next, but also for companies to see how it may fit with their own interests in connecting more with our communities and um, giving positive exits to their employees. So we think that there's a lot more work to be done around that with us just having our first cohort, our pilot, and then our first cohort. We know we've got to really raise, raise more awareness. What we're looking for is a partner, a corporate partner, a business partner, one, two, or three, who would want to pilot something like this to bring their retirement-eligible employees who are interested in transitioning into something different who might want this gap year for grown-ups to figure out what they want to do next. And I also want to add, too, that our fellows in the spring, one of the things they do is a project where they work with a nonprofit. And the nonprofits are giving us feedback about how valuable it is to bring in someone with experience who can fill in a role and work on something that they need done, but that they maybe don't have the capacity to do it. And so I also do think, as we look at our communities, I think we need to think 
a new way to look at investing in some of our nonprofits that we also have this amazing talent pool. How do we help leverage that to expand the capacity of nonprofits? And I think there's a space there that could be appealing for some of our community foundations that not only are investing resources, but also we've got this talent base. It's a win-win I see for the nonprofit as well as for our fellows who also gain a lot from that experience. Tell us about the process of recruiting the undergraduate students for this program. The undergraduates mostly are already enrolled in classes. We do recruit some that work with us, and we've had a wonderful group of what we call research assistants who help us with the day-to-day work of this program, but also help in mentoring our fellows in terms of new technologies and in terms of finding their way around this large campus and seeing the opportunities that are here, the tremendous opportunities that a a great university like the University of Minnesota offers to people so they can sample what's out there. And our research assistants, so a part of their job is helping the fellows navigate through things. And a great example of just how wonderful this has been is, so one of our fellows needed to work on a LinkedIn profile. And we all probably need to be updating our LinkedIn profiles more often than we do. But his was very stale. And she was the senior also working on her LinkedIn profile. And so she had been you know, going to the career office and she'd been doing research and the two of them worked on their profiles together. And she has a background in communication, so she helped him with language and he helped her with looking at the skills that she brings as a student. And it was just beautiful the way they came together on that. You're in the process of accepting applications for the next round of the UMAC program. And I believe the deadline is June 15th, is that correct? Mm-hmm. So we are admitting people on a rolling basis, and so we are open as long as we have capacity for people who bring the right kind of mix of characteristics. You know, we want to make sure that we're offering people what they're needing, and so if someone is looking for an immediate job, we're not the best fit, so we'll refer around. But if we feel like we can give people an experience that's going to meet their needs, um, then we will accept people on that rolling basis until we start in the fall. Tell us a little bit more about the structure of UMAC as it relates to the greater university. Apparently, there are partnerships with other departments. Let us in on how that works. So our fellows have their own seminar that they participate in, and this is for the full nine months, and we call it Focus on Transformation. And so what we use that time for is to help the fellows explore what it is that they're looking for, get a sense as to what are the skills they want to be using in this next phase, and expand their thinking about what's possible for this next phase. So we have that seminar. Then we also have a weekly, what we call faculty fellow dialogue. So we invite researchers in, faculty members, as well as some thought leaders from beyond the university. And they're coming in to tell more about their work, how their their work is impacting our communities. And it's just a great opportunity for our fellows to expand their thinking about issues that go beyond perhaps just what we're focusing on, but it's also understanding some of the amazing work that's going on here at the university, as well as broader in our community. And so it's broadening their perspectives and helping them get into dialogue with professors and researchers and thought leaders about issues that matter. 
So those are some of our core anchors. Then our fellows also volunteer in the classroom for these different classes that they're participating in. And that gives them that intergenerational piece and they learn about some of those grand challenges. Then we also do some coaching circles with them. And part of that is to help them get a sense as to what are some action steps they need to take. So in the fall, part of the process is figuring out what they want to do in the spring for that applied placement with a nonprofit. So they're doing informational interviews with nonprofits and we're connecting them up, helping them learn more about organizations doing work in areas that they care about. And so they're helping expand their view of that. And then in the spring, we continue those pieces, but then we add that piece of that um, volunteering in a nonprofit and working on a project. And that piece is customized to some degree. It's driven by a need within the nonprofit, so they're not made up projects, um, but it's also driven by our fellows' interests and the skills they want to use. And so we match them up based on that. And our fellows have said the platform of a university is incredibly powerful as they've been going out doing these informational interviews and connecting with nonprofits because, one, the nonprofits know they're serious about this. Um, Two, they also have great respect for the university and they see this is part of their learning experience, so they're willing to talk with them. Oftentimes, our fellows will sometimes say that as people are winding down careers and they start approaching nonprofits, a lot of times the ways that nonprofits respond are, well, here's a list of our volunteer opportunities. And they may or may not be a good fit for them, or they may just also be very limited in the way that they're looking at what a volunteer is. And so this is really bringing in those skills that they've honed over the course of a career and tapping them into a need that's really helping them expand their capacity. There's also a lot of informal learning that takes place. Our fellows go to seminars and discussion groups across campus. They attend special events. And they're in this campus climate that encourages and, in fact, makes it impossible not to learn and be exposed to new things every single day. It's transformative. And just being on campus, our fellows say they they feel 10 to 20 years younger, just the energy, the discussions that are happening. And so we help curate some of that. So we look around campus, we look ahead, and we let them know every week on some things that are coming up. And so they will get together as a group and, and go to an exhibit or go to uh, performance. You know, we have amazing musicians. You know, the students are giving performances, but the quality is amazing. So our fellows are tapping into the richness of the university environment. If our listeners are interested in applying for a fellow position, what should they do? The first place would be visiting our website, and the address for that is z.umn.edu slash umac. So it's UMAC at the end of there. Or you could call. Yes, Uh, or call. (laughs) And the number is... 612-624-3100. And Professor Moen and I are happy to talk with someone, answer questions. We can also connect people up with some of our former fellows who would also be happy to share their experiences. Phyllis Moen is the founding director of the University of Minnesota Advanced Careers Initiative. She's director of the Life Course Center, a McKnight presidential chair, and a professor of sociology. Professor Moen, thanks so much for joining us on Dialogue Minnesota. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Kate Schaefers is executive director of the University of Minnesota Advanced Careers Initiative. Dr. Schaefers, thanks so much for joining us on Dialogue Minnesota. Thank you so much. 
Dialogue Minnesota, conversations about the issues that matter to you. On our next episode, we continue our conversation about Encore Adulthood at the UMAC program at the U of M. We'll hear from the fellows and the undergraduate students who work with them on the Grand Challenges curriculum. I'm Jim Dubois. Thanks for listening. See you next time.